All right. So, as I mentioned earlier, we are at the end of another month. So I think tomorrow is the last day of April. May is right on its heels. And if you've been tuning in to Wednesday Wake Up for the last hmm, five months, I think we've been up and running, you know that I am a crazy big fan of self-reflection, especially in the Dharma. And so at the end of each month, I give a little Dharma talk on how to reflect in a way that can support your practice, to support how you show up in the world, um, because there's so much research on this type of self-reflection. And when you combine it with the power of meditation and the power of the Dharma, I have found it to be quite miraculous in my own life. And I continue to do it um, sometimes almost every day, but definitely weekly. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why reflecting at the end of the month or daily or yearly, however you choose to choose to do it, can be so supportive of your practice and ultimately, uh, I think, increase the impact of your mindfulness. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about how this relates to the Dharma absolutely 100% directly and talk about some of the challenges people have in doing some kind of reflective journaling because there's all kinds of stigma attached to it and there's insecurity and things get triggered and things arise and people just want to throw it in the trash and not do it. Um, and so and there's all so many other things we're doing in our life. So to add another thing to a checklist of things to do oftentimes is just not in the cards. So I wanted to approach that a little bit and talk about some of the struggles people have, the struggles I had in the past before I really got in the groove of reflecting in this way about my spiritual practice. And then I also wanted to um, I'll give a little bit of shout out if time for some of the science behind this and why I'm so enamored with it. Um, that'll just take a couple minutes. But then we're going to talk about real practical tips. I'm going to give you some questions you can ask yourself day in and day out. Very simple ways of reflecting. You can customize this to your own practice, of course. And um, over time, I have found different ways of asking questions that help me to feel intentional and mindful, deeply connected to my purpose uh, on this path and deeply connected to others who are practicing. So um, it's always great. You can give a shout out for your own ideas for questions. And if you already have reflections that you do uh, throughout your practice, that would be great to know because I like to collect these questions. Uh, because the more questions you have, the more um, opportunity you have for the different things that might arise in your life, the more tools. So if you have a bunch of different questions you can ask, they may not all be purposeful at the same time. Certain days may you may want to ask yourself about compassion, and other days you might want to ask yourself about connectivity. Other days you want to ask yourself how your body is doing. So you check in with yourself in a variety of ways, this sort of self-litmus test that we do. But first I wanted to start by talking about the Dharma, Dharma proper, and why this is so connected to what the Buddha has invited us to do with our meditation practice. And so putting this in the context of the Dharma, it's important to remember that when the Buddha went on his quest, his quest was to find the cause, capital C, capital A-U-S-E, underline, exclamation point, bolded. He wanted to know if there was a cause of happiness, a cause of suffering. He wanted to know if he could discover the karma of happiness, because if he could discover that, then he could transform himself. And that was the real quest that he was on. Unlike a lot of spiritual journeys that were going on at the time, the Buddha was very particular about being interested in happiness and its causes. He wanted to know if there was an actual cause of suffering, and if so, could we change those causes? Could we abandon the cause of suffering and cultivate the causes of happiness? And so, of course, the answer was yes. His proclamation is that we are the cause. And his good news was, guess what? 
We're participating in the way we shape our experience, which means we can change the way we're shaping our experience. So we can add love and compassion and wisdom to our experiences and increase our sense of contentment and well-being day to day. So we're participating in this present moment experience. And that was the big breakthrough he had in his meditation that he found, oh my gosh, I'm playing a role in my own suffering. Great, I can stop playing that role and start playing a role towards planting seeds of my long-term happiness and well-being. So that was his big insight. This is why it's helpful that we remain attention, attentional and intentional in our practice because we're the ones that are creating the experience. The present moment, though, is very interesting. The present moment is often seen as a location, kind of like you can go to the store or you could go to the present moment. And that's partly because the way we teach it, we say we talk about the present moment as if it's a place. And so, but it's important to know that the present moment isn't a place. It is the manifestation of a way we relate to ourselves and relate to reality. So the present moment is a relationship. It's not a thing or a location like the AM, PM or the mall. So you don't go to the present moment, even though, of course, I even talk about that when I do guided meditations. So the present moment is the result of how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others, right? It's an internal relationship and an external relationship. And the present moment, oddly enough, is composed of a couple different things. The present moment is a condition. So the present moment the Buddha talks about is composed of or conditioned by our past actions, right? Things from our past, including things from other people's past. So things we've done, things that other people have done. Part of the present moment is that. Part of the present moment are the sprouting of the seeds from the past that are now arising here. So choices we've made, choices we haven't made, choices other people have made. So part of the present moment is in fact the past, right? So every present moment that we experience is the blossoming of the fruits of past actions, both our actions and other people's actions. We are all in this room today because someone created Zoom. That's somebody else's past action, right? Our past action was becoming members of PIMC or getting to know each other. So this present moment has the blossoming of some other folks that we don't even know that allowed us to have this opportunity, which is a wonderful opportunity, and all the choices we've made in our lives that has have brought us together. So this moment has the past right smack dab in the middle. So this idea that the present moment is different from the past is kind of a misnomer because the present moment always has the fruits of the past embedded in it. And the present moment is a result of how we're responding right now to ourselves and to each other. How are we showing up in this moment, in this set of conditions? So in this moment, our past fruits arise and we respond to them. So in this moment, every person in this digital Dharma hall has a mood, has an attitude, has a craving, has an aversion. And we are bringing those heart-mind qualities to these conditions. And that is creating our sense of who we are and how this room feels to us right now. Now, granted, we're all in different rooms, so everyone is certainly feeling a different sense of room. But here we are looking at a screen, so we have this Dharma space that we are all co-creating, which is partly a result of all of our past actions and our current reactions to the present moment. So what's interesting about the present is the way I relate to you all when I step in, put on the headset, get the microphone set up, how I step into this room, how I show up, creates how I feel 
and contributes to how you feel. When I see your smiling faces and I see kids and kitties and people relaxed with blankets, you're showing up in a particular way, which also changes my experience and changes everybody's experience. So we're co-creating, we're fabricating this experience. So our present moment experience is highly malleable. It's changeable. It's, it's elastic. We can change it by the way we show up and how we respond. Every present moment is a combination of the seeds of past actions and our current responses to what's going on. So there's a lot of flexibility here. Some things, of course, we must remember are the results of actions we've done a long time ago, other people have done a long time ago, and we can't really do anything about that now except meet this present moment with a different heart, a skillful mind, a more compassionate presence, a more equanimous heart. That's where we really have our agency and our autonomy. And that's where the real beauty of the Dharma comes in is when we realize in this moment, I can choose to be somebody different than I was in previous times, in previous moments. In this moment, I can be awake, aware, and intentional about how I want to be in the world. And that's where we really get to take hold of the reins of our existence and really participate. So this is really important that we understand that our present is in fact a part of our past and how we react in this moment is planting seeds for our future. So the future is also existing here in the present. This is where the future is created. So both the past and the future are simply faces of the present moment. When we're in the present moment, awake and aware and intentional, we are looking at our past and we are looking at our future. The only place you can truly do that is right here in the present moment. This is why the present moment is so powerful. It allows us to make changes from things we've done before and plant positive seeds for what's to come. And the present moment gives us access to that amazing ability as human beings. One of the things that I say often, um, and I've said probably a dozen times in other talks, is if we do not greet the present moment with mindfulness and intention, our hindrances will gladly take the wheel. If we do not show up mindful and intentional, our unconscious would love to take us for a ride. Our unconscious would love to participate and do whatever it would like to do. Craving would love to arise. Aversion would love to arise. All of our unconscious habit patterns, skillful and unskillful, would love to just jump right in there and drive us around for a spell. So this is why the present moment is so important because the present moment allows us to go from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. And if we're not in the driver's seat, some other part of our character is, and most often, it's the five hindrances. So this is where co-creating our reality is so important. Going off the autopilot, getting out of this realm where we're dependent on our instincts, um, sometimes our laziness, our agitation, our aversion, our fears, all of those things that take, take the wheel, we have an opportunity to jump in there and take that back and we can guide our present moment experience by bringing a different heart quality to what's going on in our life. Otherwise, the hindrances love to jump in there and just take it for a spin. So this is why it's so important. The present moment is important because being in the present moment allows us some autonomy, some agency, some more control in our life. Not control as in grasping, but control as in freedom. It's hard to use another, I don't know other words than control. We don't really like that word, but it's a sense of control. Agency is what I like to use. 
Um, so we have this opportunity to take back the reins, to get back there in the driver's seat uh, and be in much more control of our life versus being dragged sometimes behind this craving and aversion in this cycle of suffering that we tend to get steeped in so often. So the takeaway here before we talk about reflection is that sometimes we think that the present moment is not connected to the past and the future. And so the take home here is the way we engage in the present is dependent on the past and is directly related to our future. And when we talk in a bit about doing journaling and self-reflecting, we're going to talk about the present and the past and how important it is to reflect on these things uh, daily, weekly, monthly, and to incorporate it into your meditation. So with that as our foundation, this understanding of the present moment and how we participate, I wanted to just talk about a couple challenges around doing self-reflective exercises in the form of journaling, in the, in the form of writing things out. Because there's quite a few of them, and I talk to students about this. Um, sometimes people just take to journaling really quickly, and other times there's a lot of uh, pushback from the hindrances from previous stories that we have about what this means. And so I wanted to talk about a few of them that come up quite a bit, bit with students. So the first one is just the stigma we have about self-care. We have this idea in the West that taking time out for ourselves is somehow selfish, that it's a type of weakness or laziness, and that taking some time aside to reflect is somehow a stain on our character and not, and not a sense of well-being. And I just heard recently that something like most Americans, like 40 plus percent of Americans, don't take their vacation days, right? They don't take their vacation days. And part of it is attributed to this stigma that taking time off for self-care is some kind of laziness, right? Or that you're selfish in some way. Now, the Dharma is the opposite. The Dharma promotes self-care. The Dharma invites us to be loving and caring first and foremost to our own hearts and our own minds. We have to enjoy and engage in self-care because to the degree we can care for ourselves is to the degree we can care and acknowledge and be connected to others. If we're disconnected from ourselves and we don't think we're worthy of self-care, it is very hard to care for others. So self-care is often seen as a withdrawal and a selfishness. And journaling is like, why would I spend time doing that? That's just something that is helpful to get over, that stigma attached. There are two other stereotypes uh, when it comes to journaling. One is an ageism, where we think journaling is for younger folks. Like kids will write or draw pictures, and we think journaling is for young, angsty teenagers in a coffee shop who are scrawling, I don't know, whatever, like I was as a teenager. So we often think that journaling is something that's like, well, I'm an adult, why would I need to journal? Like, I know who I am, I got my job, I got my family, career, why do I need to sit down and reflect? That is not the kind of journaling that we're talking about. Um, but even if it was, it's not has nothing to do with age, right? Self-reflection is wonderful, it's transformative, it's self-creative. So keeping that in mind, that this is not an age thing um, or a phase of life thing. Similarly, there's an engendered prejudice against journaling that comes from, from, for those of you who may be 50 and up, there was a time where journaling is something girls would do. When I was younger, my sister had a diary and I was jealous and I was told that wasn't for me. So, and I'm in my 40s. So I know that there's this engendered stereotype that journaling is somehow not for men or journaling is selfish and sometimes it's seen as a weakness. Um, and these are just complete stereotypes and baggage that we've carried over from cultural things. Um, 
And so I just wanted to put that out there because I've had numerous students ask me or tell me about fears related to that or not want to do it because they have this and don't realize that they're looking at journaling uh, or self-reflection in this way within these stereotypical lenses. So we'll put those aside. Those hindrances we're going to abandon and we're going to cultivate new stories around the power of self-reflection in this way. Another thing that uh, tends to hinder our sense of doing this type of work within the Dharma is, again, this misunderstanding of what the present moment is. Many people, one of the most common questions I'm asked as a, as a teacher, as a meditator, is how do I set goals in my life if my goal in meditation is just to be present? How do I plan and succeed for things in the future if my goal is just to be present? And so, as I said earlier, being present means looking at the past because your present is a manifestation of past choices. So the Buddha was very specific that to understand karma, our past actions and how they impact the present is the key to having happiness in the future and in the present, but also in the future. So the Dharma in it being a present moment experience is also simultaneously about understanding the past and being optimistic, hopeful, and cultivating a loving and compassionate future. So it is about both the past and the future. The present moment is just the doorway for us to access it. So when we do journaling, we're not leaving the present moment. We're getting really into the present moment, in fact. So much so that we're looking at the past and the future at the same time. So this is something to keep in mind. I know a lot of students have this sense that thinking about the past and planning for the future is not dharmic or meditative, but in fact it is because the future and the past exist in our present moment reflection. So that's another thing to keep in mind. I know a lot of people uh, find that disorienting. Another aspect of self-reflection that people find challenging is talking about the self. So there are many people who take the term not self, not self, to be no self. And although I've never created a formal Dharma talk about this, I will say minimally that not self doesn't mean there is no self. The, the term not self is a category of self-reflective practices that release suffering. So the not self practices are not about trying to eliminate the self or the I. It's not about an elimination of something. It's about learning to see how the identities we create lead to happiness or lead to suffering. And that our moment to moment mood, our moment to moment thought, how we show up moment to moment creates a sense of self. And that sense of self can be filled with dukkha, stress, aversion, contraction, or that identity can be filled with compassion and love and a dynamic sense of interconnectedness with all beings. So it's important to know that we can talk about identity and what the Buddha called I-making or my-making. So in journaling and reflection, we often ask the question, how would I like to show up in the world? And for some people in the Dharma, they get confused because they don't want to have the I in the equation. But it's okay to have the I because in the Dharma, part of the Dharma is creating a loving identity, is creating a loving self, creating a self that wants to be benevolent to people, right? Creating a self that wants to do no harm. So it's not as much about self, not self. It's about how are you showing up in the world, awake and aware with intention and compassion. So doing a kind of reflection where you're asking yourself, who am I, is totally in alignment with the Dharma. It's not taking you away from the Dharma. It's diving deeper into 
the not-self teachings, which are about the fact that the self is malleable. It's flexible. The self is arising and passing away each moment, and we're participating in the selfing process. So if we're going to be participating in the selfing process, let's do it with an open heart. Let's do it with kindness and love and inspiration and with a desire to do no harm and a desire to connect with people and to serve. So this is about um, being a compassionate I versus trying to negate the I in some way. Now, to clarify for those of you who have a little more experience in meditation, there are points in practice where you let go of all identity making. It is true that there is a big letting go in practice. But for journaling, I just wanted you to know it's not taking you away from that. It's not some kind of left turn or dead end. And I've had some people ask me about, doesn't journaling create an identity and isn't creating identity the opposite of what the Buddha taught? The answer is no. Um, so don't be afraid of that for those of you who've had that experience, who've had that concern. Uh, people have asked me that and I just wanted to throw that out there. So those are some of the challenges that I've come across with people um, in and out of the Dharma when I talk about this type of, of self-reflection. And so I wanted to do a couple more things and then give you some practical ways to do this so you can start experimenting in your own life with this type of uh, Dharma reflection. So one, I just want to give a shout out to science for a hot minute here because um, I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of uh, reading in research for psychology. And I love when I get to find out that things like this that are so cool, like meditation has some research behind it, um, makes me feel more confident in what I'm doing. And it also allows me to see the practices from a different point of view. So I just wanted to throw these out there so you can, you may have heard about these kind of things, but this is just some amazing stuff. So the act of journaling, the act of writing in a journaling and reflecting on who we are, right? And there's no really right way to do it. It's just reflecting on who am I? What am I doing? How are things going? This type of journaling shows that it will boost your mood and your affect. So it can increase serotonin in the brain. It can decrease depression and anxiety if it's done regularly. Um, it can reduce intrusive thoughts that come from trauma. So if you have any type of traumatic back background, just doing some reflection can decrease the intrusive thoughts. It actually is linked to improved memory. So a daily journaling of 5 to 15 minutes can improve memory function, just reflecting on who you are. Um, the other thing it does is it makes us more adaptive and more resilient. So folks who journal tend to not be thrown off track as much by their rising and passing away of problems. So when there's a chaos, when something goes left, people who journal regularly tend to have a greater resilience when things go unpredictable when things go chaotic. So it builds a sense of self-confidence and self-esteem just by the act of doing it, which I think is amazing. The other thing that you wouldn't think of because journaling is a solo venture, when you journal, studies show that it gives you a deeper connection to others. It gives you a stronger sense of what we would call Sangha. The way it does that is that if you reflect regularly, if you write down your thoughts and feelings about things regularly, you will become more intimate with who you are and it automatically produces a sense of stronger connectivity with people that you care for and even people you don't know. It has a strong sense of bonding to other human beings because you're getting in touch with who you are and since we all share universal heart-mind structures, journaling regularly can give you a stronger sense of community and connectivity with yourself and others and I think that's just awesome. So who would have thought that journaling can create a stronger sense of community. So those are the things I just wanted to throw out there. Um, 
before we dive into some practical ways of doing this reflection that I've been talking about on and off. Some of you have asked me about um, what are some ways one might do this kind of journaling? Because I've, I've done this quite a bit, so I have a variety of different ways that I do it. So I wanted to summarize some of these things because for me it might be obvious, but because I've been doing it for a while, I wanted to really break down the practicality of how you might set this up for yourself. So keep this in mind. You can reflect daily, monthly, or weekly. I certainly highly recommend at the very end of the year you take some serious time. And when that end of the year comes, I'll be taking you guys through some significant reflections on that. But daily, monthly, weekly, whatever works for you. I would highly recommend at least once a week, if you only have a little bit of time, once a week on Sunday, 15 minutes. Once a week on Sunday. And by Sunday, I mean the end of your week. Whatever is the end of your week before you're going into the next week. Once a week, 15 minutes. Uh, that's, that's my recommendation if you're just doing it one time. If you do a daily reflection, my suggestion is you do a short one in the morning and a short one in the evening. So you could do five minutes in the morning and five to 10 minutes in the evening. The way you would do that is you set your intention in the morning and then in the evening you reflect on how that intention went in your day. So it's called what I call bookends. You're gonna bookend your day with a morning reflection of your intention and an evening reflection of how things went for you. Those are just some basic ways you can do it, right? Monthly, daily, weekly. If you can do it a few times a week, great. Try doing it on a Wednesday. How is your week going? That kind of thing. And again, five to 15 minutes. My suggestion, once you get the hang of it, you'll be able to do this quite quickly and it will feel good. And so you don't need very long to do it. Um, sometimes five is just not enough to get the juices flowing. I usually find 10 minutes is, is a good amount of time uh, where I feel satisfied that it's effective. But however it works for you. Another thing you can do, remember, you don't have to write out full sentences when you're doing reflections. You can do a word. You can draw a picture. An image, if you like, if you do have some time and you're a creative person, draw an image of how you're feeling. Draw an image for your intention. Um, use some colored markers. You can use a single word. You could ask yourself, what's my intention for the day? And write down courage, kindness, optimism, patience, good listener, whatever, whatever it may be. So you could just do a single word and then in the evening you reflect again. How am I feeling now? Was I kind during the day? So... Don't think of it as a gigantic task, because if you think of it that way, it'll be a little bit harder for you to do. Think of it as something quick and easy, a reflection on who I am in this moment. And I'll give you some words and questions you can ask yourself. But that's the basic, um, that's the basic structure of that kind of thing. Daily, weekly, monthly, and at the end of the year, before the next year starts, can be very helpful. And I'm going to give you a couple. I'm going to try something different today. I'm going to use my notes, but I've got a little set of flashcards here. <laughs> I'm coming to the end of studying for my counselor license exam and my house is filled with the cat fur from my cat spring shedding and three by five cards which are everywhere in my house I, literally everywhere I can't go anywhere without stepping on one or finding one somewhere um, so I thought I would use these flashcards for a better cause and uh, try a little experiment of just having a visual aid for our Dharma talk here since I can't see you in person and I do miss that so there are two questions I'd like you to consider as categories of reflection. Now remember, the present moment is composed of the fruits of our past actions. 
right? And in the present moment, we're reacting and planting seeds for the next moment, for that future moment. So in the present, when we're deeply in the present, we're in touch with the past and we are getting in touch with the future. So a big question to ask at any point in time is this one here. Let's see if I can do this. Let's see. How did you show up? How did you show up this week? How did you show up today? How did you show up this year? And what we're talking about here is the self, this sense of I. Did you show up today with patience? Did you show up today with a sense of connectivity? Just how are you showing up in the world on all fronts? This is just a general framework and I'll go into some specifics, but how did you show up? And then it's countered with this, which is how would you like to show up? What seeds are you planting for the future? In this moment, seeds of karma are being planted. How would you like to show up? How would you like to show up to your kids today? How would you like to show up on that Zoom meeting that you have to be at? So those are the two main karmic questions that we're asking. How did I show up exploring what seeds did I plant today, right? And how do I want to show up for my long-term happiness and well-being and the well-being of other people? So that's your framework of self-creation. That's your framework for identity is how are we showing up in the world? How are we showing up in the day? What is your intention today? What is your intention in this moment? And this is an easy way to look at the present moment experience of how we create ourselves moment to moment. It's a great reminder. It's something to ask and you can do it quickly. And it gives you a real litmus test of what your day might bring. So those are the big questions. I mean, the big frameworks. And then let's ground this in the four foundations of mindfulness. Right? Because again, you can ask yourself any of these at any time, depending on what your needs are. But let's remember that the Dharma is about your health and your well-being. The Dharma is about happiness. It's about your health and your well-being. This is what we're checking in on, right? This is how are you doing? How will you show up? This is about what you can control and where autonomy can occur in your life. And so think about it in terms of your health and your well-being. And of course, in the Dharma, we always start where? But our first foundation, which is the body. First foundation of mindfulness is the body for a reason, because we are embodied beings and everywhere we go, there our body is carrying us along. So when we do reflections, we can use this as a way of getting in touch with our first foundation by asking us some, ourselves something like this. What does my body need today? Did I get enough sleep? Can I eat well today? Can I rest when needed? Do I feel worn out or do I feel invigorated? How am I treating my body? How am I being physically present in my days, my weeks, my months? Happiness is partly our physicality and it's hard to be attent, alert, compassionate and mindful when we don't respect and pay attention to our physical body. First foundation of mindfulness, the breathing body. What does my body feel like right here, right now? So as part of your reflection, I would always remind you every so often, ask yourself, what is my body doing right now? Am I comfortable? Have I been sitting too long? I got three Zoom meetings. My children have Google Classroom that they've been in all day and I've been sitting. Stand up, take a walk, 
get better sleep, just pay attention. That's the main thing. Because again, this is about your health. This is about your well-being, your happiness. And when your well-being and your happiness are attended to every person that you touch in your life, it encourages and increases their happiness and their well-being. So this is why we're doing this reflection. It keeps us on track. Now, along with our body, we all know what comes next. Mood and emotions. Mood and emotions. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, it's a great reflection to say, what was my most prominent mood today? Was it relaxation? Was it contraction of the heart? Single word. You could just ask yourself before bed, what was the, the biggest mood I had today? Maybe there was multiple moods. Did I find myself looping in catastrophic thinking? Did I have a sense of fear, a sense of grief, a sense of regret? Was there a sense of optimism and hope? What was the mood of the day? What were my emotions like today? Even if you know, until you ask, your mind will not ground itself in being attentive and intentive. In, sorry, intentional, attentive, intentional. So it's really good to ask yourself how the mood of the day is, right? The other thing to ask yourself in the morning is what am I expecting my mood to be like? And what I mean by that is what do you have going on in your day? Are you going to expect something in your day that might irritate you, that might bring up one of the hindrances, like some aversion, some contraction, some fear, um, project due, something with the kids, something with your partner? It's good to ask yourself, huh, what is my day looking like in terms of mood? Again, a few minutes, a single word is all it takes to ground ourselves back in the four foundation of mindfulness in a journaling capacity. Now, of course, there is this one that we can't get away from because it's all over the place, our thoughts and our stories. At the end of the day, it can be very helpful to remind yourself, what was I thinking about today? How was I thinking? In this day and age with the pandemic, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos, a lot of unpredictability, a lot of us are riding these trains of fear, anticipatory apprehension and concern, and so we're catastrophizing, we're wondering about income and jobs, and some of our thoughts and stories during the day are, oh my God, what if? Oh my God, what if? What if this? What if that? I need to get groceries, but I can't do it this way. What about getting masks? So it's really important, especially these days, to, tr to really be attentive to your stories. What kind of stories are coming up in your day? Give them a name, reflect on the evening, and then in the same way, in the morning, you can ask yourself, so you could do it this way, how did I show up today with my stories? How would I like to show up tomorrow? Right? Some days for me, I find, like the last couple days, for example, my stories were really about, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I'm feeling so fatigued. I, I feel unmotivated and I'm really feeling worn out. And I had this story go over and over. It was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so fatigued. That was the most common thing I said for a series of days. Now, I did some things to counteract that. I got some exercise. I took some walks. I made sure my diet was on track. I made sure I got some good sleep. But still, I can ask myself, how do I want to show up tomorrow? Do I want to show up with the story, oh my gosh, I'm so fatigued? Or do I want to show up with a story, what can I do tomorrow to increase my energy? Now that's a story. What can I do tomorrow? How can I show up tomorrow energized, relaxed, motivated, so now you start seeing that the intention, mindfulness and intentionality, 
can be used and sparked with this kind of reflection. And it's so surprising in the, in the year or so that I've done this really rigorously, I'm so surprised that it's not until I ask myself the question, what have I been thinking that suddenly I realize, oh my gosh, I've been on this thought train of anger, regret, resentment all day, and I didn't even realize it because I wasn't asking myself the question. So that's what's helpful about this is it sparks the mind to be mindful. Remember that journaling is a mindfulness cue. It's just cueing mindfulness in a different way. So our thoughts, our body, our emotions, our mood, these are our four foundations of mindfulness where we rest anyway as meditators. Bring them into your journal, reflect on them, ask yourself how you're doing. Another big one, another category that you can do is of course, others, relationships. How did I show up today locked in the house with my partner? Do I feel connected or do I want to lock them out of the house and get some time alone? So relationships, relationships. How am I showing up today? How did I show up today in my partnership? How did I show up today on my Zoom meetings? Are my kids running me ragged? Are my pets running me ragged? Is this whole thing running me ragged? What is my relational attitude? How am I showing up relationally with people day in and day out? And the kind of questions you can ask are things like this. Do I feel connected? Am I showing up in my relationships with, with compassion or the amount of compassion I would have? Am I seeing the intimacy that I would like? I love asking this question of intimacy. Where in my life is intimacy showing up? Am I in need of some intimacy? And this could be a phone call, a text, an email to a friend. Sometimes for myself, it's not until I ask this question that I realize, oh my gosh, I need to really reach out to some friends. I haven't talked to so-and-so in a while. So intimacy, intimacy, connection, compassion, our relationships. How are we loving ourselves and others? And how are we showing up in this moment? If you know you're going to walk into the day and have a conversation with someone, you can ask yourself, how can I be connected to this person? I got to call my mom. Got to call my dad. Have to call a friend. Have to take part in such and such. How can I be okay with that person? How could I be the type of self that's inspiring, supportive, expansive, listening. What kind of self am I going to show up as when I have to get on the phone to call the bank? These are questions we can ask ourselves in the morning. It takes just a few minutes. Write down, draw a picture, give yourself a code word. Um, I promise you it will really take your mind in a different direction. Okay, so those are again, those are just some ideas, some examples that will spark other stuff. And then the big one that I like to do for myself anyway, in light of being a Dharma practitioner, is about being in touch with my purpose, biggest purpose and small purpose in life. So am I in touch with my purpose? As a meditator, my purpose is to make sure I show up as a person that is planting seeds of long-term happiness and well-being. I really want to show up in the world as someone who serves others and is healthy, awake, and aware enough to do so. Right? I'm a social worker, I'm a therapist, I'm a Dharma teacher. So for me, I want to stay on track to say, am I living my purpose? Am I showing up every day as that person that I really want to be? Or am I off track? Am I tired? Am I fatigued? Am I disconnected? What can I do to realign myself? Another way of saying purpose could be what's your vision? What are your goals? What are, what are the things that are most meaningful in your life right now? You can put it that way. It's always really important to, to have a sense of who you are. Studies show 
that people who report higher levels of happiness have a sense of purpose of who they are and what they want to be. Time and time again, it's correlated directly to happiness. Who am I? Who do I want again? And the Buddha was like, can I be happy? Can I be free? Can I be compassionate? That was the Buddha's living purpose, right? That was the Dharma, is the Dharma's living purpose. So you just ask yourself when you wake up in the morning, am I on track? Do I feel in alignment with my values? If not, I wasn't yesterday. Today, how can I show up differently? How can I show up with more of the enlightenment factors lit up in my heart, in my mind? And this is another way of saying it. I make sure I know what I wrote here. Uh, yes, your most meaningful goals in life and practice. So what's going on in your life? It might be that the pandemic is really stressing, your out, stressing yourself out and the most meaningful goal is to live in captivity with your family and your children. And that every day your purpose is gonna to be to be successful in that and that's like something you really have to focus on. Um, it could be anything. It could be something with your job. It could be with your meditation and your friendships. But all of us as human, we're driven through life with these goals and oftentimes they're unconscious. We have them, but they're unconscious. Bringing them into light helps us to be attentive and intentional and it allows us to be more nourished by them and more successful. I was reading this study about creating and being in touch with your purpose. And they did this study with college students who were graduating from college. College students at the end of graduation who wrote down what they thought their purpose was and what they wanted to be successful in were 50 times more likely to be successful in their careers in that purpose than those who did not go through, the, go through writing it down at the end of graduation. So this is like really powerful stuff. It is not light, it's to be taken lightly. This can really transform and keep you focused. And again, remember, this is, let me see where my card is here. This is about your health, right? This is about our love for ourselves and our caring for ourselves and our ability to be well and healthy and happy so we can care for others, right? The Dharma is about serving ourselves so all beings can share in the merits of our practice. So keeping our purpose in focus allows us to serve others with so much more benevolence with so much more bliss and happiness in the process because helping others is challenging. The last thing that I like to do, and again, this are just examples. We'll see if we can see this. Ask yourself something like this. What would make my life more happy, joyful, or fulfilled? When you wake up in the morning, ask yourself this question and watch what happens to your heart and mind. If you were to ask yourself this question, given the day as it is, the conditions that I can't control, what is one thing I could do that would make me feel fulfilled? What is one thing I could do that could bring me a sense of joy? It could be watching a puppy meme. It could be watching a cat video. It could be calling a friend and saying, I really appreciate you in my life. It could be anything like that. It could be some loving kindness to the world. But when you wake up in the morning, what is one thing that could bring joy to your heart? Some sense of intimacy. I'll share this with you, and this really blew me away. Um, I got a phone call this week. So most of you know this, but I'll say it anyway, because I don't know everyone in the room. Uh, I'm a social worker and a therapist, and one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm a case manager for a homeless prevention program. And we take people who are about to be homeless or are homeless, and we get them housing that's safe and secure. It's a very rewarding job, challenging, but very rewarding. I get a phone call with a message from someone 
that I was able to successfully help get housing right as the pandemic hit. They were about to be homeless and they were in a very terrible environment and had to get out and they were about to be on the street. They also had a disability, physical disability, and we were able to get this person a home that was affordable and sustainable. And so they'd been safe during the pandemic. And so I get a message the other day from this woman who called me up and said, I just wanted to let you know, I don't need anything. I just want to let you know how grateful I am that you took care of me and you helped me get this place because I'm safe and I'm secure. And this has really helped me through the pandemic. And I just wanted to say, I'm feeling gratitude for you in this moment. And I, I couldn't, I was so lit up by this. And I only met this person a few times. It was a crash course in getting this person a house. And I never met them because it was after the pandemic. It was only on the phone that I had contact. And yet I get this wonderful voicemail that just completely changed my day because someone was mindful and intentional and they showed up in the world as a loving, kind individual. And that totally made me realign with my purpose. And I just felt so cared for and excited and inspired by the work I do. And I was like, wow, this is what it's like to be on the other end of gratitude. This is fantastic. So when you wake up in the morning, ask yourself, is there anything you could do that could bring joy to yourself and others? A compliment, a shout out, a heart text, something, friends, family, relatives, someone that's even, like I said, today I got a, this this thing. So anything you can do to bring that to your orientation, wonderful way of bringing liberation to your days by reflecting on that. It's so powerful uh, to do that kind of thing. Self-reflection at the end of the month. I do this every month. I highly recommend you do. Get in touch with your practice. I will also re-email you the monthly reflection sheet that I've been using for the last five months for y'all. Fill it out, compare it to last month. Definitely fill it out. And I mean, actually take a pen to the paper and fill it out and see what happens, how your heart and mind light up when you get in touch with your practice. Cause there's some great questions on that as well. Okay. I just want to say thank you for listening and bringing your kind attention to this moment. I was so excited because I just really had fun making the flashcards. I just have to say. <laughs> just have to say that. I was like, oh, I'm going to make cards today. And I was totally delighted trying to get the pen to work and was hoping that would show up on the screen. So thank you for bearing with me on that little experiment of making this more visual. I will leave you with this. Thank you for being in relationship with me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to play the role of Dharma teacher, friend, colleague, fellow meditator. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I love meeting with you each week. It has made the pandemic much easier for me to bear and to stomach. I will challenge you to be reflective this week. Let me know how it goes. Send me an email. Let's talk next week. See how it is. Um, I got some other Dharma talks on the way. Got some generosity talks coming. Some four foundation talks. Stay up with your practice. Be safe and well. Remember, uh, if you can, please go to the links that Molly has put up for Donna. Your Donna is really needed for us to support PIMC during this time, as you might imagine to keep these groups going and they are providing such a service for everybody. So please, if you can, two or $3 gets us through. Please go to the link, go to the website, give us a few bucks. Thank you for your time, your generosity and your well-being. I'll see you next week.